for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Oh my gosh, I feel so lucky to know you guys. What in the world? Y'all are so cool. Mostly Xander. I know he did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> oh man. Um, we are living in the kind of moment in history that people are going to write books about, that our grandchildren are going to want to hear, what was it like at the beginning? And uh, I uh, am, am just so struck by the, the kindness of God uh, that I get to be here and to be a, a, among this, uh, this unbelievable supernatural company of people that Yahweh's joining together for this uh, for, for the, this glorious age that he's uh, initiating in the earth. Uh, I want to tell you, I, I need to greet a friend of mine who is uh, very outgoing and really excited for me to talk about her publicly. This is Karen Sabin. No relation to Nick, unfortunately, but she, uh, <laughs> she is, uh, she's been a friend of mine for years. She actually edited the first book um, that I ever uh, published, a book called Lovely Things in Ugly Places. If you ever... Uh, read that book. It only existed because uh, some random stranger came up to me at an event. I preached that in Colorado and said, you ever think about writing a book? Because if you do, I'd love to help. And, uh, and I'm so grateful that she, she did that. Um, and she's uh, visiting us for the weekend and, and wanted to come visit the church. She's living in Kentucky now. So the Lord saved her, brought her to the South. It's a beautiful place to live. But uh, make sure you make Karen feel awkward before she leaves today. She loves it. <laughs> now, um, I want to be efficient with our time today because we have lunch reservations with Karen. Um, and, and so uh, I want to be efficient with our time, but, but here's uh, sort of w- where I'm at. The last, I don't know, couple weeks, I know last week we had the kids' Christmas production, which was just unbelievable. Uh, but, but prior to that, you know, I've, I've really been meditating on um, this sort of, this, this building, um, this idea of, of building, right? We talked about uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, and we talked about that the strategy for rebuilding the city of Jerusalem started with the rebuilding of uh, an altar, right? That, that before they built a temple for the altar to go in, before they built a wall to protect the temple that would, uh, that would protect the altar, they, they, they said the first thing that we need is a, a place of, encounter and honor for the Lord. We need to establish a core common value of honor for the Lord. That is, a, uh, you know, the, the, the primary function of an altar is, is sacrifice. And it is a place at which people can come consistently and say, Lord, you are worth more to us than you know, our livestock or our livelihood. And so they come to the altar, they begin making sacrifices, and that then initiates the rebuilding of the temple in the early second temple period. Now, um, you know, I, I have, uh, we've been praying a lot about what the future of the altar fellowship looks like, and I'm going to give a little bit of direction today. Um, but uh, recently, actually, me and, and Karen, we were having a conversation that helped me connect some pieces of a message that I, I've been working on for several weeks um, about what it looks like to build an altar according to God's plan. 
what it looks like to build an altar according to God's plan. Today, the title of my message is Living Stones on the Altar of God. Or Living Stones in the Altar of God. Living Stones in the Altar of God. Now, um, I, I want to start, and I'm going to move quick, so stay with me. Uh, whoever is um, on the verses, God bless you. We're going to have fun today. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 18. Now in Matthew chapter 16, it starts by saying, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? You've heard me teach from this passage before. There's one point that I want to make here. Uh, It says, so they said in verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And also, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We love this verse at the altar fellowship. Uh, now uh, there's, there's something that I, I want to make sure that we don't miss. So this is what Jesus uh, said. So, so the name Peter is uh, Petros, and the word for rock is Petra. So Peter's name literally means rock. And so what Jesus says, it's like a play on word, uh, a play on words. He says, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so Jesus is, is sort of making a play on Peter's name. Now, if you remember, his given name was Simon, but Jesus kept calling him Peter. And it's like a prophetic identification that Jesus gave him. You're, you're a rock. I see strength in you. I see you as a foundational piece of this kingdom that I'm building. It's this sort of beautiful affirmation that Jesus gives him every time he calls him Peter. And so he makes sure to include it in Matthew chapter 16 here, when he says, you are Peter, you're you know, my man, Rocky. And, uh, and on this rock, Peter, the, 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 I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, uh, there's a, a Catholic doctrine that is taken from this passage that that was the moment at which Peter was established as the first Pope. And I want to explain to you one of the many ways that we know that that's not true. <laughs> uh, we'll go to, we'll go to first Peter chapter two. Okay. So this is first and second Peter were written by, is this loud to, to you guys? Can you hear this like bumping? Am I just being too sensitive? All right. Yes, you can hear it. The sound guy. All right. What do I do to fix this? Help me out. Nobody knows. We'll just, uh, I think we got it. I, we got it figured out. My cheeks are too big is what it is. <laughs> it's been a problem all my life, man. <laughs> um, So Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Then Peter says this in first Peter chapter two, Peter says this in first Peter chapter two, I forgot to save this one. So give me just a second. There it is. First Peter chapter two, uh, verses four and five, that uh, says this coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious you also. So he's talking about Jesus as a living stone. Then he says that he, he was rejected by men, but he's chosen by God and precious. Then he says in verse five, you also as living stones, everybody say stones. stones. It's central to what we're teaching today. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this word house is the word oikos. Y'all ever heard of oikos, Greek yogurt? Yeah, it's the Greek word for family. So the idea is not your living stones being built up as a dwelling place for people. It's not a building that's, that's being built. It's a, a family. So he says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual family, a holy priesthood for this one function to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So the, the function of the family of God that he's He's building. He's like your stones that the, the builder has chosen to bring you together and he's making you into sort of one unit and the function of this unit is going to be to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Are you following? Okay. So the function of the unit is to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, Peter calls all believers stones. And this is important because our Catholic friends would say, well, Peter was established in Matthew 16 as the first pope. The Catholic church is the only church that can draw its lineage all the way back to Jesus Christ who ordained, who ordained our first leader in Matthew chapter 16. That's wrong. Peter himself, if he would come stand at, at, the, at the pulpit at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, he would tell you that's not true. In fact, I wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Everyone is a stone. Every believer is a stone. So God said he was going to build his kingdom on, on me, but that wasn't because I was significant any more than that I was just like the first in a long line of other people that God would make into the kind of stones that could support the weight of the glory he wants to put on us. Peter's message is that we're all stones. Like my, That might be my name, but he only gave me that name because he wanted to show everyone who would ever read my story what he can do with a broken kid like me. And so... And so this is Peter's message to the Catholic church is if, if you worship me, if you honor and esteem me because you think that Jesus said that I was a rock he'd build his kingdom on, you should know that that's not unique to me. It's not unique to Peter. And so, uh, and so Peter, he calls all believers stones and he explains that those stones have been established and ordained for only one purpose and that purpose is the offering of sacrifices. And this, I, I'm convinced, harkens back to a message that we can read uh, in several places, actually, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, and then uh, in Joshua as well. And so we're going to jump back in time about a thousand years prior to Peter writing these words. So Peter's painting this picture that we as the church are stones that have been brought together into one unit for one function, and that function is to offer sacrifices. I'm convinced that this is a reference to uh, Exodus chapter 20, this, to a principle that is first introduced to us in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 25, if you're familiar with Exodus 20 at all, it's probably because that's where you find the Ten Commandments. God begins giving the law in Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, God gives the 10 commandments. The people respond to the 10 commandments with fear. Oh my goodness, God is talking to us. We're all gonna die. And then God says, and let's start things off here. You need to know how to handle an altar. So this is how God prioritizes. Of 613 laws, you have the 10 commandments and then you have the altar 
and then everything else how to manage your finances, how to, what kind of food to eat, what kind of clothes to wear, how to wear your hair, how to deal with uh, you know, political conflict, how to uh, manage your, your, your marriage and raise your children. All of that stuff is secondary to the building of an altar. So we see God really prioritizes the building of an altar. If you're going to keep my commands, you need to know, actually before you even know what the commands are, you need to know how to build an altar. Maybe this is only important for me. <laughs> But in Exodus chapter 20, I'll start in verse 22. Uh, this, it says this, Exodus 20, 22 uh, through 25. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. Now I'm inserting this. However, so this is contrasting statements. He says, you, you will not make anything in my place. No gods of silver or gold. You're not gonna worship me the way that you've worshiped other things. But then he says this in verse 24. However, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name. I will come to you and I will bless you. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use a tool on it, you have profaned it. Now this is really interesting to me because uh, you would think that God would be concerned with the excellence of his altar. You would think he'd say, you got to make sure the edges are straight, that the stones fit together tightly. You know, you, you, you have to do what you need to do to make sure that these stones fit right to su support and sustain and undergird my altar effectively. But he doesn't say that. He says, do not, do, if you're going to build an altar for me, build it out of stones, but do not use a tool on those stones. You have to build it out of unhewn stones. Now, you see the same principle appear. I know that we're moving a little bit quick, but I've got some points I want to get to, an announcement to make, and then a lunch to eat. So, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and so, uh, now I want to jump forward uh, again to Deuteronomy chapter 27. You see the same principle. You see the same principle in Deuteronomy chapter 27 come up again. Now, to give you some context here, this is, uh, uh, this is near the end of the uh, Israelites' 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they are revisiting the law of God uh, prior to the death of Moses and the, 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 the entry into the promised land. And so Moses is about to die. Before he dies, he revisits the commands, the, the laws, and the standards of God for the people. And that's what this portion is. Uh, just a couple uh, chapters later, Moses establishes Joshua as the future leader of Israel, and then, and then Moses dies, uh, and Joshua leads Israel into uh, Canaan, but across the Jordan River and into Canaan. But, but first, Moses spends uh, some time in, in, ex, uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 27 saying this. We'll start in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 7. It says, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law 
when you have crossed, uh, write on them all the words of this law, when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I commanded you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there, <clears throat> there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, you shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Uh, you shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. So here's, here's the plan. Moses tells the elders, he tells Joshua, and he tells the people of Israel, God's going to give you Canaan. When God gives you Canaan, I want you to come to Mount Ebal, and I want you to carry these stones up the mountain and build an altar there. But I want you to, to make sure that there are three things that are unique and significant about these stones. Three things that Deuteronomy chapter 27 tells us have to be unique about these stones. It's not, doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what kind of rock they are, how big they are, how small they are, you know, what color they are originally. The things that matter are these three things. They are not cut to fit. They're washed clean and, they're, and they have God's laws written on them. And if, if Peter really meant what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are the stones that are uh, marked by God to, to come together as a place upon which sacrifices would be made, I cannot help but think that Peter, a Jewish man who's raised in a Jewish context, who's writing to a Jewish audience, that the picture he's painting is do you guys all remember the stones that were used to make the altar when we first came into this land God promised us? He said, that's a picture of who you're called to be. And so if we are going to be the kind of stones like Peter talks about in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, if we are going to be the kind of stones that can carry the weight of the glory that God is wanting to put on this place, in this time, on this generation, I think it's critical that we share the same attributes as the stones to which I'm convinced Peter is referring. So I want to talk about these three attributes. The first attribute is this, and I really like this one. They are not cut to fit. They're not cut to fit. See, in Exodus chapter 20, it's really important to God that these stones aren't cut. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, it's really important to God that these stones are not cut. He tells us in, in Exodus that if you use a tool on them, you profane them. He says, the way that they came, that's the way I'm going to use them. I want you to hear this. Yahweh will take us as we are, rough edges and all. And he will use us for his glory if we will allow him to join us together with others who are unique in their form and function as well. Our unique form is not an offense to him. In fact, it's God's timeless priority to bring together unique and individual parts to form a more beautiful final picture. I think this is such a cool, because it would be so easy for him to say, well, just make bricks that are six inches long and three inches wide and stack those on top of each other. It'll stand forever. But 
but God understood that every one of these rocks for, for centuries, for millennia prior to him giving these commands in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 27, like since the beginning of time, God himself had been forming and positioning those stones for such a time as this. He understood that the, the things those stones had been through, the weather that they had endured, the you know, the time that they spent at the bottom of a river. Like, where, I don't know where they found these stones from, right? They, they fell off the, 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 the face of a cliff to the bottom of, of a valley. And there, Joshua came and found them and, and chose them and said, this one's going to work perfectly for the altar that we're going to build at the top of Mount Ebal. I couldn't tell you where these stones came from, but I can tell you this. They were not cut to fit. God, for millennia prior to this, had been forming these stones to be precisely effective for the call to which they, uh, for which they had been uh, uh, created. Now, um, this is important for us as well because you need to know this. Uh, you might be a different shape or shade than me. You might have a different kind of accent and a different kind of expression. Your form might look different. You might have a different fashion style. You may have different interests, different passions, different skills, different uh, different, in, uh, different uh, uh, interests or uh, uh, habits or, or hobbies. You may, you may have different opportunities and, and different open doors in life. You may have had a very different upbringing than me, and that is not just okay. That's perfect. Because if everybody in this church looked and dressed and thought and talked and sang and preached just like me, we would never be able to build the kind of altar that gives glory to God. Everyone would just say, wow, look at Maddie's you know, fantastic, charismatic personality. Like we can't, uh, listen, my wife will be the first to tell you, you cannot build a movement on my personality. <laughs> I am, I'm, listen, I'm, great, I'm grateful to God to be the man that I am today. And if you would have met the kid I was 15 years ago, you'd be grateful too. But I, uh, I, I, I want you to understand that, that the, the, the different shapes and shades that we find here in, in the church, here in the kingdom, that is what gives us our strength. And I'm convinced that God's specific instruction regarding the building of this altar as a place of celebration for a people who finally come into the promise uh, is not arbitrary. I don't think it's just a random standard that God sort of pulled out of the air and said, well, uh, just make sure that you don't cut the rocks. It's like, oh no, there's a reason for this. There's a method to God's uh, approach. The reason that he sets these standards, it's, it's, it's well thought out and all of it is prophetically pointing to the church that you are a part of today. And so I want you to know that the kind of stones God chooses to build his altar. They're not cut to fit. Hear me, I, I love that, that we're all different ages and shapes. We love different types of music. That we, uh, some of us dance around and lay on the ground when we worship and some of us sit down and feel uncomfortable. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that we've got, we've got all types here. Like we may be the most ethnically diverse church in the least ethnically diverse city in America. <laughs> which I guess is a good thing, you know? It's like the standard is low in Johnson City, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the many different cultures that we have represented here. So I think it's a, a really beautiful thing. 
And, uh, and this is, I'm convinced, uh, how we're gonna build an altar in accordance with God's standards in a way that will please and honor him. And so, number one, these stones are not cut to fit. Number two, it says in, in verse four, I'll read verse, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll just read these couple verses in, in, case, in case maybe you have uh, um, forgotten about it. I've been studying it all week. So <laughs> let me go to verse uh, two first. It says, verse two, it says, and it shall be on the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of, the, of this law. So the first is that they're not cut to fit. We read that in Exodus chapter 20. But the, the second is this, they are washed clean. Every stone that God chooses is, is not cut to fit into anyone else's mold or anyone else's strategy or, uh, or building plan. And the second is that every one of them is, is washed clean. Every one of them is whitewashed with lime. Now Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 gives us a little bit more insight into God's heart behind this. Isaiah 1, 18 um, ends with, with these Two promises. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. Guys, I want you to understand that. We don't have to have everything in common. Our shape doesn't have to be the same. Our clothing doesn't have to be the same. Our hairstyle doesn't have to be the same. But every one of us, if God is going to use us to support and sustain the altar that he's building in, in this region, in this time, uh, he will do so because uh, he will, he will uh, uh, wash every one of us clean to make sure that we're fit for the task at hand. Now, this is an important thing because I understand when I talk about, well, they're not cut to fit. God will take you as you are. It's really easy for people to hear those words and twist them to think God doesn't care how you live. He, he does. He really does. He cares about righteousness. God cares about holiness. He does. He cares about uh, our continual devotion or, 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 or uh, uh, conviction to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and to follow Christ, to allow Jesus to live through us by turning, turning down our, our own selfish impulses and ambitions and saying yes to the call and, and the commission of Christ. It's, it's like we don't, we don't get to say, well, you know what? Everybody's different and you know, I'm just an alcoholic. It's just my funny quirk. It's like, no, friend. Like all of us have a call from God, not only to be positioned in the altar, not only to be authentically who he's made us to be, but also all of us, all of us, no matter where we came from or what shape we came in, all of us are going to have to be washed. This is why the Lord commands Moses to tell the people to whitewash these stones with lime. Because though our sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be as white as wool. And so number one, every stone, is they are not cut to fit. And number two, they are washed clean. And number three, they are marked with God's law. Verse three of Deuteronomy 27 tells us this. You shall write on them all the words of this law. 
Every one of them has the word of God written all over it. Now, I might have taken that a little bit literally. But Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Understand that from the very beginning, in Exodus chapter 20, like when God first started giving commandments to the Israelites, he gave them the 10 commandments and the next thing he said was, here's how you build an altar. And he began to lay out for them this plan that every stone in my altar will not be cut to fit. It'll be unique in its size and expression. It'll be washed clean and it'll have my word written on it. And so after giving these commands, uh, Moses dies. He gives authority to Joshua and then he dies before entering Canaan. So many of you are familiar with the story. The, the, the Israelites, they cross the Jordan River. They finally come into the land God promised them. They have a supernatural victory at, uh, at uh, Jericho. And then, uh, and then they come to, to Ai. And um, at first they lose this battle because of uh, rebellion against the Lord. But then they um, they have a, a victory in, in Ai. And, and, uh, and in verse, starting in verse 30 of Joshua chapter 8, um, it says this. There's a, a little subtitle above this passage in my Bible, and it says, Joshua renews the covenant. It says, now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered uh, on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. Joshua fulfills the instruction that Moses gave them. He fulfills the command of the Lord from Deuteronomy chapter 27. And he renews the covenantal commitment of the people of Israel to the God that saved them from bondage and brought them home to Canaan. I am convinced that we were not just sent here to build a church called the altar, but to build an altar called a church. And just like God did for Joshua, uh, Yahweh is sending us the stones that we need, whitewashed and clean and with his word inscribed upon them to fit in their intended place. And, uh, and, and to come together, just like Peter dreamed of, to fit in their intended place and, and, and to come together um, as the kind of altar where God's fire can meet our sacrifice. 
And so, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, the last few months, maybe the last couple of years, I have felt this, um, the weight of the conviction of the Lord that, uh, that it's my responsibility to make sure that every stone can find its place. And, uh, you know, I have sort of said jokingly, if someone would have come to me five years ago and, and said, hey, here's a check for a billion dollars. Build whatever you want to build. Um, I w- In fact, we had a new building committee. Some some of the members of that committee were are here this morning. And uh, in fact, I... I think maybe all of them are. And, uh, and we talked about, uh, about this, you know, what's the dream? What's your big picture vision, Pastor Maddie? And I said, I would never want a sanctuary that could fit more than 400 people. <laughs> right, we messed up. And, uh, <laughs> and here's the thing. I, if, I, if I had all the money in the world and could have built whatever I wanted, I, I would have built a sanctuary for 400. And here's why. Because if we have 350 to 400 people, I can know every family in the church. I can know what they're struggling with, what they're walking through. I can uh, uh, sit down and meet with them. I can go out and hang out with them. I can go watch their kids play sports and you know, go visit and go watch their daughter's you know, dance recital. Like I, I can be involved in every person's life. And, uh, and then... And the, the whole time we've been here, there's only ever been one church for sale in the area. And it was this one that has a sanctuary that fits 600 people. And we sort of begrudgingly said, okay, fine, we'll take it. And, uh, and God said, thank you, I'll fill it. Um, and so we have been, you know, praying about what do we do now? I, I think uh, uh, three of the four previous weeks our security team came to me and said, we physically cannot put another car in this parking lot. And so um, we've been praying a lot and, and talking a lot about what is next. What does it look like for us to steward what the Lord is doing and to not, um, to not hold at bay God's passion for this region because uh, it's not what we wanted or expected but to say, God, if you're doing it, you can count us in. You have our unconditional yes. And so um, I'm excited, nervous, and, uh, uh, and honored um, to announce that on February 4th, Sunday, February 4th, we are going to launch a second service at the Altar Fellowship. Um, Because I believe that every stone needs the opportunity to find its place. And uh, now, for ages, I sort of went back and forth like, my favorite part about church is when the preaching's done and everybody just hangs out, you know? Uh, Here's what I mean. At the end of a service, when I look around the room, I see, you know, moms with babies on their hips, you know, laughing together, having like the only adult conversation they're going to have all week, you know, commiserating, encouraging each other, sharing war stories and cheering each other on. You know, I'll see a group of young men where one of them has grabbed a brother or two and said, Hey man, I'm really struggling 
with this or, or that? Would you please pray for me? And you know, there's a little group of guys that are gathered around lifting each other up before the Lord. I see kids running around, jumping over the pews, you know, climbing under them, playing tag with each other. And, and I think that's church, you know? All the music and preaching and live stream and websites and social media, all that other stuff is only for that. Like that's the one thing that every other thing exists to serve. And if I can use my gift as a communicator to help bring people into those moments, then praise God, I wanna use it. You know, I, I know that I can speak for Pastor Zach and, and the people in the music department when I say if they can use their gift to bring people together for those life moments when people can connect in meaningful ways and share life on, on the journey, then, then absolutely, I, I know they're happy to do it. And, uh, and, and, and so uh, I have, we've been sort of going back and forth about like, how would we add another service? Everybody in this church loves to hang out with each other so much that it would, for me, it's, it's a non-starter that we would do like a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. service where as soon as service is over, you gotta get out of here. And so, uh, so what we're gonna do is we're doing 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. And, uh, and so that means that if you get uh, hammered by the Holy Spirit at noon, you got five hours to lay on the floor and cry and let God go as deep as he needs to. You got all the time. We'll start second service on top of you. We don't care. Like you go for it. <laughs> And um, I'm convinced, you know, somebody said something to me this year that, um, that really uh, became like a mirror that I had to face myself in and, uh, and, and that became the spark of some serious repentance for me. And they said, Maddie, don't be afraid to receive something from God that's too big for you to control. The truth is, guys, I, I would love to pastor a church of 350 people for the rest of my life because I feel like I could control that. But already, I'm having to trust God in ways that are uncomfortable for me. You know, there could be some rebellious spirit in the church, some people who are convinced that I'm doing a terrible job and they could do it better and if only they could get the board to fire me and they could take my job and, you know, right off into the sunset. And I wouldn't know for months. All right, there could be secret sin and dysfunction in the lives of people in the church. I might never find out. And uh, I'm really uncomfortable with that. But what I'm having to do is say, God, I trust you. I trust that you will protect the purity of your church. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, you are Peter and on this rock, what does he say? I will build my church. I will build my church, is what Jesus says. And so we get to steward it. We get to water the seeds. We get to watch in amazement as he exceeds our wildest expectations. But it's, it's not ours to control. It's not ours to dictate. Um, it's not ours to build. We trust him and we will follow him. And it's evident, I think, to anyone who has eyes to see that he has bigger dreams than I do. And I'm grateful for that. And so um, I would ask you over the next weeks, as we prepare about six weeks now, as we, uh, as we prepare to launch 
the evening service to pray about what it will look like for you. Um, my prayer specifically is that this, uh, is that God would give us just a grace to be able to reach young adults. I, w- I want to see Gen Z just set on fire for Jesus in, in, uh, in the Tri-Cities. Um, and so, uh, man, I want to see a hundred ETSU students and a hundred Milligan students and a hundred Science Hill and and uh, Elizabethan High School students here every Sunday evening with 250 moms and dads that'll come and put arms around them and say, hey, this is what it means to be a, a child of God. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I want you to pray about what it can look like for you to help other stones find their place in this altar the Lord's called us to build. Um, whether it's for you to switch to the evening service um, or, or maybe you, you keep coming on Sunday mornings and dancing around with the little ones up front. Um, there will be uh, some opportunities in the next couple of weeks. In fact, I'm going to make a lot more announcements on the 31st. Um, and so again, be here on that Sunday. And then the Wednesday following that, the, the um, first Wednesday of the new year, uh, we are going to have um, a, a question and answer service where I will sit down and answer all the questions about what the second service looks like, about all the other things that we're doing, any questions or concerns or issues that anybody has, I would love to have a dialogue about that. And so um, you can put those things on your calendar, but I would ask you more than anything um, to be covering me and my family and my staff in your prayer as we try to rightly steward what God is doing in this house and through this house around the world because we really need it. Amen? Are you guys excited about this? It's going to be wild. 20, I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be insane. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, and other people, just like you, are going to find home, the home that they didn't think was possible. I met a guy today, Mike. Hey, Mike. And his wife, Rebecca, is that, was that her name? Yeah, hey, y'all. And, uh, and Mike said, you know, I looked for years for a church in this area that, had, um, the, the, that, that would honor the Spirit of the Lord. And that would invite his presence. And he said, I had, I'd given up for a long time until we found this place. And Mike, welcome home, man. I'm glad y'all are here. And, uh, and I don't think that Mike is the only one who, who has been looking for home for a long time. And praise God, when they come here, they're going to be able to find a parking spot. In Jesus' name. <laughs> come on. Um, well, uh, Father, we love you and we thank you for the honor and the privilege that it is to be a part of all you're doing here in this area and in, in, in this church. Lord, I thank you for the people in this community, um, for their radical, revolutionary yes to you, God. Thank you for the purity of this house. That we, are, um, uh, we, we are a people that are passionate about you, and we are becoming a people who are more passionate about you than we've ever been. God, thank you that you love and favor um, this movement in this house. And, and we say, thank you, Lord. Uh, may, it, may it never be something that we take for granted. God, would you continue to give us wisdom, humility, and, and the fear of the Lord to govern us as we um, steward this, this outpouring of revival that you've given to this house. God, would you continue to, um, to guard our hearts, our minds, um, continue to guard our, our lips and the way that we speak about what it is that you're doing. God, give us joy um, passion. God, help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. And, um, and Father, use us. We say use us to help other stones find their place in this altar so that your fire can fall on this region. In Jesus' name, amen.
Come on, family. I love you. What an awesome day it is. Thank you so much for being here. Blessings to you. We will see you Wednesday night at 630. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the altar as we work to establish the kingdom of heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org.